It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Buckle up, folks. It's election season. We finally have maps and they're official. Filing begins again today. Takes me back to a great Taylor Swift song. <laughs> what song is that? Begin again. Okay, I missed that song. <laughs> Ask Isabel. So right now, candidates are in line to file for office. That's if they, right. If they hadn't filed already in December, they can get back in line. Long road to get here, and what a rocky week to get here. Take us through it, Sky. I think last week I laid out how tight of a timeline we were looking at. We did see on Friday, the plaintiffs in the case uploaded some maps to the court or sent some maps to the court. So there were multiple maps for that three judge panel to look at and decide which maps they were going to use. By yesterday, which was Wednesday at noon, we were supposed to hear from that panel as to which maps were going to be used. And you saw on Twitter, people were like, it's noon, where are the maps? And shortly thereafter, we saw that special master panel chose the House and the Senate remedial maps were good. And then the congressional map was redrawn by the special masters. And that is where the angst lies. Special Masters redrew the congressional maps. That is when we saw another avalanche of criticisms, mainly coming from Republicans. Yeah, but it is notable. All parties in this case did appeal that decision yesterday. And their appeals had to be in by five. And then I think it wasn't until like 10 or 11 o'clock that the court last night denied all of those appeals. So there's nowhere else to go. Right? It stops here. No, they could go to the Supreme Court. Okay. And then I heard late last night, uh, as the media was covering the Supreme Court denying the appeals, I heard Senator Phil Berger say, it's just time to have an election. What you and I discussed yesterday, and I think we have also discussed on the podcast, is that congressional map that the special masters drew is an interim map. So that means... We're going to be back at it again, drawing a congressional map after the 2022 election. All right. (laughs) It never stops, does it? But there is the potential for this congressional map and or the other maps to be challenged at the Supreme Court of the United States. Mm -hmm. I think there has been some discussion about potentially joining other federal lawsuits with maps that are going up to the Supreme Court. So it'll be interesting to see if that's going to play out or not, especially in light of Senator Berger's comments. Yeah. What are the legal arguments that Republicans are making against these newly drawn congressional districts? First, you had this order from the Supreme Court that really told the legislature what you have to do. You have to hit these metrics, you make these competitive districts, and that is what you have to do. And so the General Assembly really was bound by what the court had said. And so they felt that the districts they had drawn did those things. However, the special master's map, the argument is that it does not meet those metrics 
and also only creates one competitive congressional seat. Okay. Another argument or, I mean, I think fact that you can see in the maps is that communities of color are split. Big city metro areas are split. So you see that playing out as well. And that was something that the court did not want the legislature to do. What's been some of the fallout we've seen, especially at the congressional level, as it pertains to these new redrawn maps that dropped yesterday? Yeah, right after the new map came out, you started to see a flurry of folks saying either I'm running in this district or I'm not running. And one that I think was notable was that Congressman Bishop, Dan Bishop, he's from Mecklenburg area. He announced, I'm not sure which district I'm going to run in, and I'm not sure I'm going to run for Congress again at all. I might run for a statewide judicial election. We also saw a tweet yesterday from Representative John Zoka, who's in the House leadership in the General Assembly. We all know he's been eyeing a congressional seat. He went ahead and made an announcement yesterday as well. Yes, his tweet said that in light of the three-judge panel ruling, I am announcing my candidacy for the newly formed 9th Congressional District. Also, just a little bit ago, Richard Hudson said he was going to run in that 9th Congressional District for re-election. So that sets up a primary that could be interesting. It appears to me that Speaker Tim Moore, who we all thought was going to run in a new district that was created down in the Cleveland County area, that appears to not be available to him under these new maps. Could be wrong. We'll just wait for word from Speaker Moore about that. All indications seem to be that Congressman Madison Cawthorn, if he is going to run for re-election, he's going to have to run in his current seat. He's not going to be able to move south as he had announced earlier in the year. I noticed over the weekend, all week, really, uh, Senator Chuck Edwards, who's in the General Assembly, he is definitely running in that primary against Madison Cawthorn if Madison Cawthorn decides to run for re-election. And I noticed in just about every post that Senator Edwards makes, he talks about how he has mountain values and he would never abandon his district. And the word abandon is the word that gets used over and over and over again. We have some really interesting matchups in the 2022 Republican primary. That's right. And yesterday, the Washington Post put out a very long form article on Madison Cawthorn and how his constituents, some really heavily conservative folks, feel like they don't have a representative at all. So as we're sitting here recording this podcast, you just get a tweet notification that Senator Jeff Jackson might be coming back into the race for 2022. He says he's considering running for the newly drawn open seat, and that is that 14th congressional district we mentioned that Spear Moore had previously been looking at, but now is heavily Democratic and includes Mecklenburg County. So this week, we got to sit down with Representative Ashton Clemens, who is someone we've wanted to have on the show for a while. She brings a sort of 
positive energy to the legislature, to any bill she's working on, that I would say is quite unique. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Ashton Clemens, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be with y'all. Just to start us off, tell us about your district. Where is it? Who is in it? And why is your district special to you? Oh, that's a good question, especially um, since last night we passed maps that will change the district um, fairly significantly, actually, for me. Uh, My district is House District 57, and it is north and northeast Greensboro mostly. I have a couple of uh, precincts that are in the more rural parts of like northern Guilford County, but mostly it's north and northeast Greensboro. And it's a great mix of um, urban uh, Greensboroites and mm-hmm. suburban Greensboroites, and then a couple, um, like I said, of rural people that would tell you they are rural. Um, though I think some of our more rural areas would question that, but um, they mm-hmm. tell they would tell you that. I love Greensboro. To me, Greensboro has an amazing history of from like Underground Railroad to obviously the Civil Rights Movement to working on the hard parts of history and trying Mm. uh, to make progress as a community. Mm. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot to be proud of in Greensboro. I also, I'm not from Greensboro, my husband is, that's how we ended up there. And so it's also a very welcoming town where, you know, I, I got there and I made relationships and worked hard and got involved in the community. And within, you know, 10 and 12 years, you can feel like you are part of it and you know people when you go out. And so it's a good size in that way. So I think we have a lot to be proud of. It It's really also, um, so we've had a big economic shift in what's happening in the triad, of course. And it's, really poised for like the next future takeoff I think Guilford is and we've had two major economic development announcements in the past three months so it's an exciting time Mm -hmm. in Greensboro and the triad also Um, so I'm proud of the history and I'm really excited about where where our area Greensboro and the triad is going in the future also so your district next go around what will your district look like then yes so it's um significantly shifting uh partisan wise and Mm. um i was about 70 percent democrat my new district will be about only 55 um and i will still be kind of north greensboro but i'll be going to the west more of greensboro and i've been going more east um, and then I'll have all of Summerfield, which is uh, a more small town rural. The slate for city council in Summerfield was keep Summerfield rural. So, you know, that's, um, but it's a great opportunity and uh, to learn more about a different part of Guilford County. You know, maybe half of the district's the same. So I'll, I already have those relationships. And of course, you're interacting with people all along, um, but it is going to be different. We watch you in the General Assembly a lot on education policy, and you're part of the Early Childhood Caucus that you helped co-create. You seem to have a very 
positive working relationship with Republicans. It seems like a tighter district you would fit in very well with. You seem very comfortable talking to all folks. I mean, I I hope that that's true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my... My best compliment would be if a wide spectrum of people said that same thing. So I would want, you know, urban Democrat strongholds to say that about me, as would I want Summerfield Republican Men's Club to say that about me. Not that we would agree necessarily on everything, of course, but that mostly that I respect where people are coming from and that... I have at my heart that we are all here to solve problems for the people of our state and our community. And I'm willing to do whatever that takes with whatever conversation with whomever to actually improve the lives of people that are entrusting their lives to us to make these decisions. So at my best, it's not always true, but at my best, I feel like across the political spectrum, I try to have both of those as like my guiding point, you know, guiding orientation when I have conversations. So you mentioned that your husband's from Greensboro, but you're not. Tell us about where you grew up. Who are you? How did you become you? Well, I grew up in Alamance County. And so actually Greensboro was like the big city when I was growing up. We would go to the mall in Greensboro twice a year to shop for clothes, you know. Um, So I grew up in Graham, uh, which was really, Alamance County's had significant growth in the past 20 years, but when I was growing up, Graham was very small. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew everyone. My dad was from there and grew up there. My granddad was a veterinarian, and I kid you not, I still meet people who are like, your granddad took care of my you know, dog or whatever. And my dad was the city attorney for Graham, very involved in the community. He did lead the Democratic Party for Alamance County for many years. He led the clerk of our church, you know. Um, And my mom is an elementary school guidance counselor. And I think in different ways, they both instill parts of how my life has ended up where it is. Both of them had a, like, instilled a deep responsibility about using your life to improve the lives of others. That was... Um, no matter what you were going to do, that was what we are here, put here for. My dad, he pushed you to be the best, right? Mm -hmm. So he was much more achievement oriented. My mom was really like, love everybody. When we had birthday parties, you had to invite the entire class, lest no one be left out. I mean, you know, just constantly, this is who we are. And so I think I grew up expecting to be part of the community expect feeling responsible to to improve wherever you were around you in high school I was really good at math and science and this is how I became an educator I was a junior in high school and one of my middle school teachers um, was teaching a homebound student who had leukemia who was a freshman at my high school and she was responsible for all his coursework, but he was in geometry and biology. Mm. And the teacher was like, I, I, this is beyond me. Like, I can't help him with this. And I knew the teacher. She went to my church. And she was like, can you start working with him on geometry and biology? And so I said, sure. And I, it, it led to I would, like, take him his assignments, work with him, then take the work back to the teachers. I was, like, the go-between for him and his teachers, and um, two or three afternoons a week, and he was in and out of Chapel Hill Hospital, um, and 
I would go and take him his work to UNC Chapel Hill. And this was like as a junior in high school. Yeah. So not a normal experience really. And it, But we were sitting in the audience at the end of that year. And so I was like top of my class, all these mm. things. George was his name. He got to come to get his A honor roll certificate and he had mm. his mask on, and which now is normal. But, you right. know, he had his mask on because he couldn't get sick. And I was just sitting in the audience. We went to see George. My mom came too. And I was just crying. And I mm. looked over at my mom and I said, Mom, I, all the things I've achieved, I'm more proud of helping him walk across that stage than anything I've ever gotten. She said, you need to be a teacher because that's what teachers do. So much to the chagrin of my dad and my grandparents, um, I (laughs) applied to be a teaching fellow the next year and then went to UNC Chapel Hill as a teaching fellow. And I'm an advocate for teaching fellows anyway, but I I don't think I would have stayed in education without it. Um, So it's just been a crazy whirlwind since then. And Mm -hmm. so I taught just briefly, I taught in Durham Public Schools. Um, got married and moved to Greensboro and taught in Greensboro and then went to Harvard and got my master's in school leadership and then led the turnaround of the lowest performing school in, in North Carolina um, for two years as assistant principal and the two years as principal and then went to a different school and then got my did assistant superintendent and when this leads us to where we are now mm-hmm. in 2017 I had this lunch where they I was like asked to run for office which was really the first time I had thought about it um and at the time I was an assistant superintendent and getting a, my doctorate in education um, at UNCG at UNCG right. yes go um go Spartans exactly and my kids at the time were six three and three so that's who I am in a nutshell and how I went through education and then ended up um sitting with y'all in Raleigh yeah. down the street from the legislature that's all right <laughs> I want to tell you about a conversation I had with my son recently. I'm not very proud of. He's a freshman at NC State. He's a chemistry major. And we want our kids to be happy and do whatever they want. And I said, well, what are you going to do with your chemistry degree? He said, well, I might might be a teacher. (laughs) His mom and I looked at each other. And I just said, Alan, you know you're not going to make money. And you'll never make money being a teacher. But if you want to do that, I support you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Go do it. But I feel bad about having sure. that conversation. But I felt like I needed to just warn him. Yeah. What do you say about that? What's your I reaction? I mean, my daughter says the same to yeah. me. Like, I, you know, and she would be an excellent teacher. And probably your son would yeah. too. You know, when I was in high school and I said I wanted to do this, my dad was like, you can do anything. Like, right. you are, are so good at math and science, which girls just aren't. And especially right. when I was, you know, 25, 20 years ago or whatever they weren't. And, um... I remember looking at him, I'm going to change the world. How dare you question me, you know? But now I see he valued that in me that I wanted to be a teacher, but he was worried and he wanted me to be able to provide for my family. And in the reality of where we are right now, that's not a reality and not, not, I mean, you don't want your kid to have to decide between going out to dinner and get gas and like, particularly if he would get married and have kids and was on a teacher's salary, that very well could be his choice. If someone like me has that thought, and there's no one who (laughs) believes more in education, I don't think, than I do. But when my daughter said it, it's like, oh, gosh. I also think our kids' generations are going to do many things with their lives in a way that even when I was a teaching fellow, that wasn't the expectation. 
And so I think there's a lot to be said for for folks who decide to teach for three and four and five years who then take that experience and do other great things informed with it. I think that's okay too. Yeah, I will be proud. We are very proud of him, uh, both our kids. And I think he would be a great teacher and it'd be love to see him do it. I just felt like I had to warn him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. And like when I was deciding, you know, you hear this is the starting salary or whatever, but when you don't know what that means when you're a Mm -hmm. senior in high school, uh, not really. So you said that the first time someone asked you to lunch and they asked you to run for office, what was that process like deciding to run and why did you ultimately decide to run? Before the 2016 election, I had gotten involved in the community in lots of different ways, not necessarily politically though. And I had my entire career basically has been in really high needs schools. Like I had chosen to do that work on purpose because that that is the, the children I feel called to spend my life working with. But after the 2016 election, like many people, I was very shaken by the results in lots of ways. And I'll just be honest, I was particularly shaken with some of the way that people that look like me had voted um, after some of the comments we heard and things like that. And so it really felt like to me, like, uh, I have to do something more. Um, I don't know what that is. But I had lunch the day after the election planned with another woman that I didn't know well at the time. And we both were kind of feeling that same. What are we going to do? And that was a Wednesday, obviously. And I said, well, maybe we should just get other women that kind of feel like this together and see what happens, like what comes from it. And so that we sent an email to eight women we knew. And I I live in an environment that's very Republican and Democrats are very, you know, and a lot of my life have been more surrounded by Republicans really than Democrats. And so I didn't really know of all the women that I was around as peers who, who were Democrats or who, you know, who would be feeling this way, you know? So we sent it to like this small group and we said, if you want to just get together and talk, come on Sunday night, we're going to be at this place. And eight women. And we said, if there's another woman, you know, that you feel like this, bring them. So 65 women came the first night. night. Yes. And so Principal Ashton had chart paper and markers ready, thank (laughs) the Lord. And like we moved from the conference room to this big room. And and breakout groups. We did. We (laughs) separated in breakout groups. I gave everyone question prompts. And, um, you know, we talked about like, what are we feeling? What do we feel responsible for in this moment? You know, and then that group, ended up the first email I sent I signed it onward Ashton Clemens and Mindy Oakley and so that group ended up taking on this name onward and it grew and grew to over 550 women and it wasn't even all political a lot of it was racially like trying to break down systems of racism and reflecting on our own as mostly white women like our own roles in that I mean, it, it did all different kinds of things. We started an anti-racist summer camp for kids, oh. which still continues on. We did, there was a lot of trade policy discussions. So we went to UNCG where okay. we had an econ- economy professor talk to us about trade policy. I mean, mm-hmm. we just did all these things. So that like just turned my life. I didn't even know it would. And I started meeting all these people. And so Tammy Brunner, who recruit recruited at the time for lead and see she said can we have lunch and 
can you help me come up with a list of women that should be like people we're talking to for statewide office? I was like, yes, we need more women. I'm happy to do that. So we went to lunch and she said, we actually want you to do this. And so I said, I was getting my doctorate. My kids were very young and I had this career path that I was really proud of. So my first thought was like, definitely not, like Uh no way. And I cannot say that there was ever a moment where I thought, okay, I'm definitely going to do this. It just more got to a place where I was like, I don't, if the world feels like you should at least try to have a voice at this level, how can you not do that if these are the things you care about? And I will say my husband is wonderful and a trooper. And he said, he was like, yeah, this is probably not great timing, but the Life just happens sometimes, and sometimes things just come to you, and he's like, chances like this don't come up that often, and if this is your time, this is your time to do it. And then the superintendent I was working with, I was very close with, and so I went to her, and I was like, you know, I've been presenting this, and she, the first words that were out of her mouth were, you were meant to do that. Uh-huh. And so, you know, it just kind of was like, all right, I guess I'm going to try this. And I will say, when I was originally recruited, it was in a Leans Republican district against John Blust, who had been there for 14 years. And so, like, when I said yes, that's really what I thought I was saying yes for. Um, And then, because of one of our many court cases, the district changed twice from when I announced that I was running to when I actually ran, and then it ended up being in a strong Democratic seat. So um, that was crazy, too, because when I originally said yes, I kind of thought it was a long shot. But I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I mean, I'm a hard worker. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give it my best. But it felt like, I don't know, that this is, you know, and then pretty quickly, it's like, oh, my God, like, we're really doing this. So, yeah, yeah, so that's, that was it. It had to be a culture shift, right? To go into just the, to see folks attacking you and saying that you're, you know, don't vote for her. I mean, was that hard to go from this culture of teaching, which is positive and bringing the best out of everyone, and then this world of politics? Yes. Um, yes. And I can't, I mean, that honestly continues to be, continues to be one of my hardest um, Mm. aspects of what I'm doing now. On one hand, when you are a school principal, everyone is mad at you all the time. So like (laughs) parents are mad at you about something. Teachers are mad at you. Kids are of course mad at you. (laughs) So like on one hand, that was actually good practice because I had to develop like a pretty thick coat, especially at the turnaround school because we had the federal government there once a month. The state was there once a week. Like it was intense work. And so you kind of have to develop this who am I how do I live true to who I am even if people are questioning that so in one hand that was very helpful but the hardest difference is that education as you said is very mission driven we are here for the children and we're going to debate some things but like we are in this school and and you know system or whatever to have positive outcomes for kids and so and we're in it together and um, that's very different than the the environment in the legislature. I see it a lot across the board. Republican, Democrat come here with the ideals, and I'm not suggesting at all you've compromised your ideals, but they come in with the ideals, but this, the system just starts wearing you down after a while. Yeah, don't you think it was, uh, I think it was really easy on the outside mm-hmm. To, to paint everything in politics as like black and white mm-hmm. and good and bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
it is, it, there is almost none of that, right? right. It is all gray. Yeah. And it's real easy before you get here to say, I would never do this. Or I would, how dare they do this or whatever. But then you get in it and you just realize how complicated it is. And people don't, you know, that people do not understand that. And th- there's no way for them to. Like I've just come right. to terms with there's no way for <laughs> them to. Let's talk specifically about some of the things you have accomplished in the legislature. Because there have been some huge buckets of work that you particularly have been involved in and a primary bill sponsor of that have passed with bipartisan support that hadn't passed in previous sessions. Can you talk about how you do your work and maybe what you're proudest of that you've passed? Yeah, I mean, even you just saying that like makes me feel like, okay, I can keep doing this. because (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the thing I'm probably proudest of bill wise is the dignity for women who are incarcerated bill Mm. that we just passed Mm. only because I know the dignity with incarcerated women bill would not have passed if I hadn't been like the doing the work that I did. And that bill, you had the support of very conservative organizations and very liberal organizations. Yes. I mean, yeah. How I think about the work is first of all, it's, a hundred percent relationship driven. Mm-hmm. So early since I've been here, I've invested in the relationship piece of being in the legislature. I was the freshman, you know, co-chair of our group, and like we planned dinners with the Republican freshmen. I have always tried to build relationships on like a personal level. The first committee meeting, uh, so Kevin Corbin and I sat beside each other in multiple committees because of Clemens and Corbin. And the first meeting, like literally my first committee meeting, I was talking to him and he's so friendly, you know, and mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm going to get some water. Do you want some? He was, I, he said, sure. So I went and got it and I came back and he was like, you know, I'm a Republican, right? I was like, well, I do, but is it really so bad that I wouldn't get you water? You know, like, is that really? So I guess I I think relationships are key, and I try to spend energy and time on those, and I try to protect those. And so to me what that looks like is Representative Brian and I may really vehemently disagree on environmental policy, And he and I might be really aligned on some early childhood stuff. So I'm not going to berate and be negative with him Mm. on the environmental policy, even if it's politically expedient or whatever, because I want our relationship to be about the things we can agree on. Mm -hmm. And so that's like a constant cycle of choices that you make with what you say, what you do, what you tweet, what you, you know. So I've tried to build and protect them. I think that's one. The second of why that bill worked was because it was driven by women. So early on, I knew that I would need a Republican woman to work really closely with. Now, I will say I had worked on that, like the drafting of the bill and with DPS and everything for a while and then met with Representative Baker, Kristen Baker, several times, got her to be on board. And then Amy Gailey and I, she's from Alamance County and so like, she grew up knowing my family and those kinds of things. And so when she first came to the legislature, she said, let's have lunch. And we had also been in the North Carolina Leadership Forum together. So we had already connected there. 
and we were at lunch. This was really early on when she got elected. And she said, well, what are the things you're working on? And I said, you know, gave a thing. And I talked about this bill. She said, I think that's great. I would love to work on that bill with you. Mm-hmm. The hardest part was getting um, the Sheriff's Association and the Department of Public Safety on board. I will say that LT McCrimmon in the governor's office was very helpful with the Department of Public Safety. I went to the Women's Correctional Institute and mm-hmm. I... Um, what I didn't want to do and I think had been done in the past was to portray it in a way like the correctional officers are horrible and mm-hmm. they're trying to hurt women because I actually think more what it was was they, the correctional officers have been trained and without specific training and focus on what pregnant women need. Can you pause here sure. and tell listeners if they don't know what the bill yes. is, what the Sorry. bill is? Yes. No, that's okay. That's the bill is, um, so dignity for women are incarcerated and before the bill um, was passed in North Carolina, pregnant women could could and were being shackled while pregnant and during labor and delivery of having a baby. And so that was really the impetus. The bill also like um, paid for menstrual products for women, which we were charging women like $6 a day in money they can't make. Um, and so many women were just using toilet paper. Um, and it strengthens families because it increases bonding between the woman and the baby um, in the first year in particular of the baby's life. So it does some other things, but it, the real impetus was about shackling um, pregnant women, and especially during labor and delivery. So I think because we were women who were more about solving the problem, when we met, I mean, we had many meetings with all involved. And when we met, we started with, we have two goals keeping our community safe and protecting pregnant women and their babies. We together can come up with something that meets both of those goals. Mm-hmm. So we like we didn't pin it. It had been in the past correctional versus women and like no one wins when we do that. And mm-hmm. so we re, we redefined it from the beginning and I will say I think women are more able to do that because we mm-hmm. didn't have to win. We just wanted to make progress. And it was 33 versions. Like, it was painful. But but eventually, you know, we did it. And I give much credit to Kristen and Amy, who were willing to advocate it within their own caucuses. And then Amy went to Terry Sanford, the most conservative sheriff probably in some ways in our entire state, the Alamance County yeah. Sheriff, Terry Johnson. Terry Johnson. Thanks. Going way back in yeah, history. Yeah, Terry, yes, Terry sorry, Johnson, Terry yeah. Johnson. And she got him on board. And then he helped bring along the Sheriff's Association. And so when we did the press conference, we had Terry speak all the way to ACLU. And um, I have a picture of that press conference in my office because I'm like, this is what we can be. This is unique in so many ways. I mean, we do have cross-partisan working together, but we hear from legislators on both sides who just feel like we're kind of siloed off. So I think about it this way I do all like gigantic problems and one is what are the structural things we can do big picture and I also think like what can Ashton do right now as a singular person. So structurally I actually think the maps that we passed last night are are progress. Um, They're not perfect and probably both sides are not happy. I'm actually, mine, as I said, mine changed very significantly, but there's more balance to them mm-hmm. and there's more competitive districts and those things will incentivize problem solving instead of talking to the extremes on either side. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not going to pretend that one map is going to make all the cultural shifts in the world, but I do think it will be part of the progress that we need to make because we need people who are not responsible to the loudest voices on the extreme, but are responsible to the people of our communities. I think our map does more of that. I also try to be like live by example, the best ways that I know how. Ed Goodwin's son last session was returning from being deployed after a year. And I just happened to know that because he and I happened to sit to, like at the cafeteria together and he was talking about it. I stood up on the house. This was early on in my first session, but I did a point of privilege like to celebrate his son. And multiple people are like, we don't really do points of privilege for the other side. I'm like, this man's son is returning from like, I mean, I didn't know. Like, I'm, I was naive enough, you know. I try to find ways t- to show what that we can be better. So out of all of those things that you are saying, there are structural things, there are small things. If you could change one thing today in our politics to make things a little bit better, what would that one thing be? I think if the collective we, so I think that we includes voters, money in politics, the media, but if that collective we gave attention to people solving problems instead of people yelling the loudest or riling up whatever deepest, worst things there are, we would have a whole different ballgame. I think we're flipped on that. The people solving problems are actually getting very little attention and actually have to work undercover and things like that. Um, And this is true, I would say, on both sides. Um, John Zoka actually told me, he was like, I think the spectrum's a circle more than it's like a line. And he was like, you and I are down here on the bottom half of the circle. And you're on this side and I'm on that side, but we are actually want to help. We're going to solve problems. And then like the top half of the circle, he said, you and I have more in common than either of us might have with the far extremes. They have more in common with each other, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But the, and then he said, but all the money and attention's on the top half of the circle. Politics is responding to what the collective we is demanding. So when people ask me like, how is it? I'm like, listen, I just on Sunday was talking to a Sunday school class about education and advocacy and they were like, well, this is hard. I said, listen, the future of North Carolina is on all of us. Mm-hmm. And so if you're frustrated, like get to work because right. people say to me all the time that what are we going to do? I'm like, it's on all of us. You know, this is this is the best and worst we have is democracy and getting getting involved. So I think it's like, how do we build a collective that, again, that can focus on problem solving more? And it's politics is always going to be part right. of it. It should be second, though, to actually helping our community. And, and I think that's flipped right now. Well, Representative Ashton Clemens, we appreciate everything you're doing for the state, everything you're doing for your district. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you oh. for being on the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, that's a compliment, so I will take it. Uh, <laughs> thank you, and thank you for having me. And, and y'all's work to try and lift voices to get us to a better place, I think, is really important. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. We've said it before on the podcast, serving in the minority party at the General Assembly is the toughest job. And in the minority party, you know, there are so many roles that have to be played. You have that loyal opposition. We know those legislators that stand up and debate. We know the ones that throw bombs at the majority. But you always need to have someone on your bench that can score goals. And Representative Clemens really does a good job of engaging the majority party, building some trust. I love the way she puts an emphasis on relationships, cultivating those relationships, and and watching her move legislation, whether it's the shackling bill, uh, the marriage bill, uh, COVID negotiations, mass negotiations. By all accounts, when we talk to Republicans or we talk to Republican staffers, they say, we really like her. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. This week's Tweet of the Week was from Friday. We had to choose this tweet, (laughs) and it is from Kirk Osteen, and he's at Kirk Osteen, S-T-E-E-N, and it was analysis. New legislative congressional map appears to create 671 split for North Carolina with six tomato-based districts, seven vinegar-based districts, and one (laughs) toss-up. Unclear whether the new 9th district, which borders South Carolina, will pass the court's mustard. And pretty funny, he colored it in and everything, and it just blew up on Twitter, and a great tweet. How many retweets did it get? 161 retweets, 800 (laughs) likes. Wow. You know, when I first saw the post guy, I thought, oh, God, here's someone else weighing in on maps, and I was seeing Republicans and Democrats, everyone across the board was retweeting and liking that post. It was a perfect post at a perfect time and you know we all know our barbecue i'm a fan of eastern style vinegar based barbecue but you know giving a nod it looks like the ketchup based in western north carolina has the edge thanks kirk for the tweet what are you doing this weekend it's still up in the air i think julie and i are going to head to the beach this weekend So Brian was at the beach, I guess it was like three or four weeks ago at this point, and he texted me. Well, first, one thing you should know about us is that we're super annoying, if you don't already know that by listening to the podcast. But another thing is that we remain in constant communication when we're not together. So not uncommon for Brian to text me on the weekend. So I get a text from Brian, and you say... I'm okay. But a shark may have bit my surfboard. A few weeks back, it was a Friday. I'd finished work, all meetings, got everything done. Decided I was going to go surfing at lunch. Get out there, and no one's around. And suddenly, I feel my board just take a jolt. Like, for a split second, something had a hold of it. And it pulled me back, and I kind of fell back on the board. And I thought, man. Did a boat just run into me? And I realized there were no boats around. There were no people around. And I was like, what hit my board? So I paddled like a madman towards the beach. I get out of the water and I look at my boards around the back. 
and this is, you know, a glass covering of the board, and it had three what looked to be teeth marks in my surfboard. And I go back home, I, you know, I text Julie, I text you, I tell you what's happening, and my board's just all screwed up. I can put a photo on social media if you want to see it. It may not be a shark bite. Someone said it might have been a turtle bite, which, by the way, gives me no consolation. That, <laughs> that, okay, it's just a turtle, but that turtle bit my board or something hit my board. I don't know. But yeah, I survived and I didn't see a shark. I didn't see anything. All I know is that the board was grabbed, then let go, and I was a little frazzled. Are you okay to go back out there? Do you need someone to help you? <laughs> no, I went back the next I'm not day. going to, but somebody might. <laughs> I did get back out in the water the next day because, you know, you got you to gotta just get into it. And it was on my mind the whole time, but, you know, no incident, nothing happened. I'm all good. And if the reason we want to go to the beach this weekend, it's supposed to be good weather at least uh, Friday and Saturday. So I'll surf again. I have seen sharks in the water before, but they're not after humans. They're, you know, they, they want something they can, they can eat pretty quickly. What are you doing this weekend? I mean, basketball season's heating up Big Ten red hot. I saw where the Michigan coach punched a, an assistant coach over at Wisconsin. Boy, you Big Ten guys take it, take it really seriously. I mean, all they want to do is shake hands. <laughs> I mean, that is the Michigan way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if you know this, but UNCG did clinch the Southern Conference uh, this past week and looks like we're going to be a top seed in the tournament. I'm going to take this time to remind listeners that a few weeks back, Brian said, oh, I don't really pay attention unless they're winning. Then I pretend I've been paying attention the whole time. Full circle. (laughs) Here we are. Now he's pretending he's been paying attention the entire time. I'm not pretending. Don't ask me one single player on the UNCG Spartan basketball team, but I will know them in the next coming weeks when they start playing in the tournament. But I'm very proud of my little school. Illinois looking good, wrapping up the the season of play here. We've had some good games. We've had some rough games. But on Saturday, we just beat Michigan State at Michigan State. So that was a pretty good win. They were also ranked. so But we still dropped this week to 15 in the polls. Okay. Well, I have Illinois playing UNCG in the national championship. So that's going to be great. You know, next week... We're celebrating a year doing the podcast. This is going to be fun. What do you have in mind? I don't know. We got to think about how we're going to mark our one-year anniversary. Yeah. Well, we accept gifts. We do. <laughs> if you have some ideas. I can be bribed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We can definitely be bribed. And if you have ideas about how we should mark this one-year anniversary, gosh, it's, it's hard to believe, but it'll be our 52nd episode. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You have a great weekend. As always, we so appreciate that y'all take the time to listen to this podcast, to give us feedback and let us know who you want to hear or what you'd like to hear about. We are happy to accommodate any requests. So please enjoy the weather that Brian says is going to be good this weekend. If it's not, blame him Mm. and go out into the world. Have a great week. Do not talk about maps. Do not talk about politics and remember to do politics better.